How's it going, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. As night two of the NHL lies just ahead, both the Ottawa Senators and the Toronto Maple Leafs will kick off their seasons. Ottawa will play Carolina. Toronto's got Montreal. Uh, If you missed it, on Tuesday morning, Graham Nichols was here to help us tee up the Ottawa Senators season. We did our preview there. Holiday Monday morning, uh, Rob and I had pre-recorded something, just some some fun little NHL hot takes, things that may or may not take place this season, but are theoretically possible, but are a little bit over the top. And we had a little bit of fun with that. Uh, and I'll also mention that uh, coming up on Friday morning, Ethan Shiner, author of the book Freedom to Win, is going to be on the podcast. I'm looking forward to this a lot. I read his book over the summer while I was sitting at the cottage. This is all about the Czech hockey team. And it's not long after Czechoslovakia has been occupied by the Nazis and things are starting to get back to normal for the Czechs. They're getting some of their freedoms back. Their government's getting, you know, a little more progressive and starting to let them have some things. And right next door, the Soviets are going, yeah, we're not going to have any fucking part of that as they're trying to keep communism alive. Well, don't they roll the tanks in? And now all of a sudden the Czechs are occupied by, uh, by the Soviets. And the only place they have where they can actually fight back, actually stand up for themselves and their country is in sports. And uh, the Czech hockey team was a big part of that. And so uh, this book is all about that. Follows the Holik family. Maybe uh, maybe a name that you recognize, especially kind of those late 90s, early 2000s New Jersey Devils who uh, did some, some very bad things to my Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, it's a great read, a great book. So I, I reached out to the author and uh, Ethan Shiner is going to join me on Friday. So we're looking forward to that. But today, today we're teeing up the Toronto Maple Leafs season. And uh, the last couple of years, just before the season started, we have brought in our buddy Jeff Viette to help me do that. And we've made no changes this year. Why would we? It's always been well received in the past. So we're going to talk to Jeff Viette all about the 2023-2024 Toronto Maple Leafs. With that, let's bring him in, uh, a guy who's been nice enough to do this for us for the last few seasons now, a Toronto Maple Leafs preview. We bring in Jeff Vayette. How you doing today, Jeff? Fantastic, man. How about you? I'm, I'm all right. Uh, I know you and I were just talking a little bit off air, but uh, you've seen a little bit of a, a promotion since the last time we talked in, the, in, the, in your hockey work. Anyway, tell us what's new, man. What, uh, what have they got you doing now? Yeah, I'm... Um director of uh, player personnel over at the Markham Royals, OJHL, so still kind of doing some, some junior A stuff on top of the uh, top of the hockey writing. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we've got a we've got a very competitive team right now. I think we're eight two and one to start the year. Uh, two of the top uh, two of the top point getters in the league, Ryan Forberg and Ben Walken, uh, who are uh, putting up some really impressive seasons. I can go down the list with the talent that this group has. It's just uh, it's a lot of fun to kind of be around that environment and have a have a chance to contend for uh, for a Buckman Cup and hopefully a national championship uh, down the line. So uh, it's been busy, but uh, but it's uh, been a blast. I know you're also doing some writing. I'll ask you about that in a second. But you know, as you're doing this one, I just wonder, you know, the the work with the OJHL and. I, does it do anything for you in terms of the way you watch, you know, the NHL games, the way you approach your writing, like just, you know, the the extra work that you're putting in now at the junior level? I'm just curious how it, you think it might have affected the way you watch the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it changes your perspective a little bit, kind of being more involved. And that's why I kind of got started with it. For those who don't kind of know my background here, this is my fifth year working in the league. I've worked with a few other teams along the way. Um, I brought this to the first team that I worked with uh, out of interest to seeing uh, if the data that I was tracking at the American League level uh, for my writing was of uh, 
was of much practical use, obviously, at that time. Uh, and still, the uh, the AHL was very lacking in data. I tried to fill a gap a little bit by trying to bring it closer to the play-by-play uh, style metrics that we get in the public sphere uh, for the NHL and uh, decided to bring it to a team, see how it worked. Um, being able to talk with coaches and management about uh, how to apply it and being able to talk to kids about how they they can improve their games, stuff like that, it kind of gives you a little bit more perspective of, okay, what works, what doesn't, what's applicable, how do we, how do we communicate this uh, a bit better. Um, you obviously learn with the ups and downs of the league, um, how, what things need to be applied a little bit more, a little bit less. Um, and obviously every league is different. Like the, um, the, the flow of play in a junior A hockey game is not going to be the same as it is in the National Hockey sure, League yeah. or the American Hockey League, so on and so forth. So not everything is the exact same, but that almost, again, brings you back to learning how to adapt, uh, with the, with, with the data and with, uh, all the other sorts of information we have, the eye test and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, seeing how some guys project, because many of these guys will go on to be college players who will end up in the professional ranks at some point, or even NHL prospects, and lucky enough to help with uh, a couple of NHL draft picks over the years uh, as well. Um, so it, no, it's an it's an an interesting way to to add some perspective and. We'll see where it takes me over the uh, over the course of the next few years. Uh, for now, I'm just having a lot of fun with these uh, this team. And I know you're still doing some some writing, and uh, a couple opportunities have opened up for for people. You know, with the uh, you know the the proliferation of of sports betting here in in Canada. And I know you write for one of those sites that has jumped on that opportunity. Uh, where can people find your work right now? What have you been working on? Uh, you can find me at canadasportsbetting.ca, where property of uh, Better Collective, uh, who run a series of, of major um, betting-related websites. Action Network is probably our um, most well-known brand. Uh, Vegas Insider, US Bet, Sports Channel, so on and so forth. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's a, it's a fun environment too. Obviously, the uh, the game. Uh, is changing a bit in how it gets covered, and for and some ways good, some ways bad when it comes to the uh, to to the sports betting sphere. Uh, but I really like our approach to it in the sense that uh, it's not as full on. It's more something for hey, if, if this is something you're interested in, role will help you out a little bit um, in terms of uh, making educated decisions on on picks. Uh, we were really excited this month to add Andy McNeil, who was part of Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, and their uh, and their intermission segments last year. Um, he's doing a lot of our, our projections, so we have an in-house model to work with as well. And try to mix that in with standard coverage. I want to try to be more involved in the least sphere this year than I was last year, as we were kind of building up the platform last season and kind of go back to uh, the the regular content that I was doing in years prior. So it's uh, so it's a lot of fun being with this group too. It's. Uh, two really good spots to, to spend my days a lot of work but it's uh but it's a fun experience as well sounds like a man sounds like you're happy and, and doing well so uh let's let's bring you down a notch by making you talk about the leafs um if we can Oof. we can do that here maybe the most natural place to start is to look back just for a minute or two on the off season that they had and uh, if you don't mind and people who follow you on twitter will recognize this phrase i'm gonna ask you to tap the sign because we've seen an awful lot of people coming at you with how much tougher this group is going to be and how much more physical. And, and 
the numbers don't really bear that out. And that isn't to say that this team can't be a better team or that the bla- the players that they've brought in, um, you know, aren't going to contribute or won't turn out to be really nice fits. But essentially, if I can kind of steal one of your tweets, this isn't Todd Bertuzzi and Ty Domi. It's, you know, it's Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi. And at, do you yeah. feel like, you know, are you happy with the offseason that they had? Do you feel like people are confused on exactly what the Leafs have gotten here? Just sort of what did you make of the moves they made in the offseason? Um, it's interesting because I like it for reasons that I guess not the not the reasons that, that are parroted across the, the mainstream and the the general fan base, as you kind of referred to, you look at those signings of Domi and Bertuzzi and people invoke uh, the previous generations of those families and the way that they uh, decided to play and they're expecting rough and tumble, uh, tough tenacity, basically all the catchphrases we have, Brian Burke and right. Dave Nona, so on and so forth. Uh, this time it'll totally work out, you know? <laughs> uh, but you look at those players... Um, and, 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 and here's the thing. I think that they give the Leafs something that they have been lacking for a little bit. The difference is I don't think it's a thing that people think that it is. I think what they're bringing to this team is a more offensive approach. These are two guys who are strong, skilled, offensive players. Not the greatest in their D zone, but the, the Leafs have been pretty good in that end the last two years, despite all um, all claims. Um, they desperately need more scoring depth. We saw this in the playoffs. And when you said tap the sign, I thought the sign that you might go to was, uh, was the graphic I think I used the most throughout the year when people would talk about, oh, Toronto needs more defense. Right. And my response would be they scored 14 goals in their final seven playoff games. And yes, part of that is the fact that the, that the top scorers did kind of wear down a little bit as, as happens when you are the only threats. Uh, on the ice when a team can say, okay, we're going to double down on these guys, um, shut down lines one and two and the rest of the game makes things a little bit easier. This makes it more complicated. You know that Tyler Bertuzzi is the kind of player who will get you 50-ish points on a full season if he, if he's fully healthy. He can find the back of the net and he has that little bit of extra edge to him because with both of these guys, you're getting some pestiness as well. In a sense, you're replacing the the annoyance of Michael Bunting more than you are finding your next big power forwards mm-hmm. uh, with these two. Max Domi's the same kind of idea. He's had some really good seasons over the course of his career, kind of been up and down the last few years, but we know that he's able to produce and he's able to to cause a little bit of annoyance even when he's not producing. He's not going to throw a million hits. In fact, he's going to throw fewer hits than like a Mitch Marner or even like an Alex Kerfoot. Yeah, you did the math there online and said that that Bertuzzi and Domi together last season had fewer hits than Bunting by himself. So these are pests and and those are useful in the playoffs. Like they'll get in your face kind of guys, but they are not physical pound you through the end boards kind of guys. A hundred percent. Like people who are going in here thinking that it's going to be the Bay Street bullies are probably going to be a little bit disappointed. But if they're going to look for hardworking players who can who can cause some annoyance for the other team in a couple of different ways, they're going to be very happy with these guys. So I look at those two and I say, okay, well, this team now has added a second layer of scoring. Uh, they're going to be a little bit more annoying, which could be a good thing for for a few reasons. Takes other teams off their game, might increase the amount of total penalties in a game and in a league where things get evened up. That might be good for a team like Toronto who has um, strong special teams on both ends. 
um, kind of upping that temperature is something that teams like Tampa Bay have had success with over uh, the past five, six years. That could be an advantage to them as well. Um, you look down to John Kling, uh, John Klingberg. He's not going to give you the same kind of uh, pestiness, but you know he's a very quality offensive defenseman when he's on his game. He used to be one of the um, biggest threats in the league in that regard, and obviously the past few years haven't been amazing for him. But now with a little bit more to work with on the blue line um, and a team that you know has offensive creativity, it might give him a little bit more leeway as well. So in those respects, like it's hard not to look at that and say, okay, this team's going a little bit more in the direction they needed to. They need to double down a bit more in their offensive identity. The, the bigger question starts to happen when you start looking at like the bottom lines and what they're um, going to do on the fringes of the lineup. And that's when it starts to get a bit muddier and you start wondering, okay, is, is the direction here going to be to come in waves or are we still talking some form of uh, balance puck, if you will? Yeah, and this has been something that I'd be interested to get your take on. And, and it sort of had a wrinkle thrown into it here this week with Fraser Minton, and we'll see how it goes for for probably nine games or so. And if it's working, that's that's great. And if not, no harm done. You got a look, you got some experience and, and back to juniors he goes. But I, one of the things I've said on the show a few times over the summer is I don't, I don't really understand how the pieces of this puzzle fit together. There's some pretty useful pieces, but I don't, you know, in terms of utility, do you want David Kampf as your fourth line center with what you're paying him and also playing with Ryan Reeves where that's no longer a line you really want to depend on to be buried in your own zone. That's like Reeves isn't going to help you there. But you really also don't love David Camp at third line center because now that depth scoring is sort of being impacted. And again, I know Fraser Minton's been thrown in here and, and it'd be great. Like this would solve a lot of their problems if it turns out he is ready. But there are some pieces when you look around and you're just sort of like, you know, Tavares, Domi, Nylander. I don't know how much I trust that. And we've seen that Tavares and Nylander together doesn't really work all that well. To Like, there's a lot of really nice pieces. I'm just not sure how they how they click together. Yeah, no, I, you, you look at the, at the way that that bottom half is built and comes a little bit more into question. Obviously, uh, they're starting the year by loading up this top six, Bertuzzi and Domi going straight onto those those top wings, but that wasn't where this conversation started. We heard talks of someone like a William Nylander playing third line center, maybe kind of configuring the team a bit more like the 1617, uh, Penguins where mm-hmm. you have a star player on each of the top three lines that lasted, I think, what, two preseason games? Um, and all of a sudden, bam, it's back to stacking up a bit. I think that maybe if down the line they want to slide someone like Domi to the center, uh, role of the third line, that's, that's an option they have too. Um, but as it ends, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting with Minton in there. Uh, he, I'll give him credit. He impressed a lot of people in this camp and it's going to be interesting to see what he does, uh, for the next nine games and one that uh, people, um, for, forget as well, the next 44 games because Toronto could find themselves in a position where they use him for half the season, send him back and while they burn, uh, the first year of his entry level, they could keep the first year of his UFA eligibility. Right. Um, which puts them in a pretty preferable uh, situation for the second contract. Uh, obviously, if he's playing well, you want to keep him instead of doing that. Mm-hmm. But you, so so you look at that, and it could get a reprieve if he's if he's able to carry that momentum to the season. As you kind of get to though, you look at that fourth line right now though, and it's David Camp, Ryan Reeves, and probably Noah Gregor. I would imagine we're going to find out something today about 
uh, a contract getting elevated from a PTO to a uh, standard player contract. They did uh, contract. just a little while ago announce that he's signed to a league min deal. Uh, so there you go. Well, there you, there you go. Old yeah. news, Jeff, right there. Um, <laughs> so, um, but 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 you look at that and it's like there's there, there's not a lot of goals on that line. There's not a lot of likeliness that it's going to tilt the ice. Um, it's almost kind of complicated in how it's broken up because Reeves, Reeves is really the only heavy uh, in that line, so they're not going to be this overwhelming, physical, imposing uh, line to begin with. And then the big bottom line there is that line together is making four and a half million dollars. Like for all the talk of all the top guys um, get their salaries, like that's where you're. That's that. That's where you've got a bit of your weight right now. Um, and you don't know if you can even really play that line. Like a guy like Reeves, is he going to play every single shift that they go out, or are they going to have to slide? A yarn croak or a domi or a Nylander, whoever, whoever they need to get extra minutes to, mm-hmm. um, to kind of supplement them. Are they going to effectively play it as 11 forwards and Reeves is sometimes there? Um, is two and a quarter million or 2.4 million for, for David for the next four years? Uh, is, do you want that in your, in your four center spot? Like that's, it's not great. It's not a. It's it's definitely going to be an area that's going to be divisive over the course of this year, um, because I I don't really see a clear identity in that line, and it's probably not going to help you create um cre- create a wave against another team. The idea of having all the scoring depth is that teams don't really get a chance to stop. Whereas you know that line is basically going to be trying to reset the pace. For 45 seconds gives another team life. Um, whether or not they could be using somebody like a Pontus Holmberg or a Bobby McMahon who went on waivers earlier today, um, in that, in the, those, in two of those three spots instead, um, is a much bigger question. So I wonder where the makeup, um, ends up being there as the season goes forward. It's obviously, uh, going to be tough with two of those guys signing four and three year contracts uh, just a couple months ago, but I don't know if uh, you want much permanence there. No, uh, as we look at the the defense, there's questions here. As you pointed out earlier in the show, this team plays better defensive hockey than it gets credit for. It's a narrative that has mm-hmm. taken forever to die uh, back from an age where their defense truly was pretty bad. Um, but there are still some questions there. I don't think anyone knows for sure what we're going to get from Klingberg. Uh, TJ yep. Brody, I I don't understand the we're going to buy out TJ Brody talk that took place over the summer. Um, there's only one year left. He had a good regular season last year, and then there were some moments in the playoffs you didn't love. Um, but I, buying him out didn't make a whole lot of sense. What, what are you going to get mm-hmm. out of Jake McCabe? Can Mark Giordano still play? 50 60 games for you like this is this has got to be I guess we'll get to the goaltending but like this has to be where most of the question marks are right on how this is going to play out this season is on the on the defensive side yeah I mean I think to an extent that's the case um with Brady I think I have fewer questions than most do I think the playoffs were not his best but it's it's hard to look at that body of work and think that it's not going to work itself out, out at least for the time being. Um, Klingberg, obviously, a lot of questions there, but you're talking about him in a second pair role instead of having to take on uh, the primary brunt of the responsibility, which was the case uh, late in his time on um, 
um, uh, on Dallas and throughout his time uh, in Anaheim. Uh, Minnesota's a bit of a mixed bag, but that's coming to a team late, late in the season. Um, Giordano is one where I have a fair bit of concern. I mean, we know he's been a great player over the course of his career, and he's given the Leafs some some admirable duty for the stage of his career that he's in. At the end of the day, he's now, I think, the oldest player in the NHL yeah. coming into this season. Um, and it's, I mean, playing in this league at 40 is hard, no matter who you are. Um, the fact that they can shelter him in a third pair role uh, obviously helps, and uh, starting with Timothy Liljegren uh, will likely be to his advantage, too, because I think Liljegren's progress over the past couple of years has been really good, and it's going to only continue. Um but yeah, you're you're right that not that not everything is for certain here. If everything hits, they're in good shape. I mean, we saw Morgan Riley elevate his game in the playoffs, and if he can continue to carry some of that momentum into into the fall and winter, uh, this could be a really big year for him. Uh, Jake McCabe will only benefit from having uh, a full training camp with the team and getting uh, more aware of them. And I think being able to have them at that half price that they have in that is uh yeah nice is value their there. benefit yeah uh so so there, there's a lot to like there there's still not that superstar that that moves everybody and i think that's why we constantly talk about um ab- about this group the way that we do there's not the there's a need in the city to kind of have a norris candidate um at all times otherwise it feels like it's not worth it but I'm still relatively content with this group. Obviously, if an opportunity comes, you you look into it. But uh, but I I can see them being in good shape, and that's even without mentioning Connor Tim- Timmins as well, who's going to start the season on IR, but had some really good flashes uh, last year, and is yep. probably about as good of a seven as you can have if they can make that fit. I wonder, you know, you mentioned Liljegren there, and he's taken some steps forward, but he has found himself out of the lineup a couple times in the playoffs. To me maybe more than anything else this season the most interesting thing to watch will be how big of another step is there you know what his ceiling is he was kind of slow coming along um and you know not to a, a point where it's you know a, a real issue but you know a guy we we sort of we sort of kicked Lilligren aside in favor of Sandine who appeared to arrive a little quicker I just wonder you know would it surprise you if by the end of the year like Lilligren is now solidly in your top four ahead of uh, someone like Klingberg. Is is he kind of the linchpin that will determine how good this defense is going to be this year? And what do you think his ceiling is? Like, how much further could we realistically see him take his game? It wouldn't surprise me if he made a leap. I mean, I, I think he's a guy who already doesn't get enough credit for what he is. And I think part of that is because he didn't become the flashy offensive guy that he was once hyped up. Uh, in his draft years. That's really where I think the big w- debate between him and Sandine has come in the last uh, couple of seasons was that Sandine is, is a more effective power play player and he had uh, more obvious offensive tool sets. And as much as people uh, gripe that they want uh, steady defensive hockey in this town, uh, the best way to convince them that a defenseman is good is them putting up points and playing yeah. offense. <laughs> Lilia Grin, in a lot of ways, is the exact player that they have been asking for for a long time. He's a he's a relatively young right-handed defenseman who's able to play physical when needed. He's got good gaps. He's able to keep the flow of play going the other way. He still has some offensive creativity. He's got a really really strong first pass. Uh, in a lot of ways, again, this is this is the guy that you think. Toronto needs to trade for. 
uh, and he's already here. It's it's just a matter <laughs> of continuing to gain uh, trust from the coaching staff um, and from and from the fan base and everybody involved to kind of rally around him and say, okay, this is the guy. Let's see uh, what kind of rope we can give him. Uh, he's fared quite well over these past two years, and there there's a lot of potential for him to uh, to take advantage of this. The fact that they signed Klingberg gives him um, a little bit of rope to to feel himself out a little bit more for the next few months. But only at the end of the year, their roles would be reversed. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think within the next year or two, we're going to see him solidify himself as a high second pair, maybe even low first pair uh, defensive option. Uh, I guess the only other place to, to touch on here as far as positions go is the goaltending. And, and we saw Samsonov last year uh, have a really nice year for Toronto, do some things that he hadn't done before. But the thing that Washington fans always complained about was his consistency. And so um, I guess we still have to be open to the possibility that he does regress this year, but um, there's every bit as much reason to think that, no, he's, he's found his game a little bit, or he found, he's found something in this system or in the Toronto coaching, whatever it might be that, that this allows him to now, um, you know, be who he is. Joseph Wall came up and, and certainly didn't look out of place last year when he played after having a really good uh, year in the AHL, but he had, it's, it's a short runway with him as well as he'd had some injury issues and he just sort of burst onto the scene are you worried about the goaltending or um like how do you see this playing out in terms of split and um you know what what are you expecting out of that um i would say i'm worried about the goaltending insofar that it is goaltending in the national hockey league <laughs> uh and you can't predict it outside of a sh- decently shrinking amount of guys last year i would say it was about five guys or yeah. seven guys now it's about five. We're talking Saros, Shesterkin, um, Sorokin, Sorokin, Hellebach, yeah. um, and Vasilevsky are like the only five guys you can trust, and one of those guys is hurt until further notice. Well, so like even going really into help. last year, I think I probably would have had Thatcher Demko on that list, and all of a sudden you're like, nope, you got to yeah. show it again, man. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Jakob Markstrom, the same thing. Yeah, he's yeah. right on the cusp of it, and now he's got to... And you know he's got to do it all over. It's, it, it's a tough position if a lot of volatility, injuries can throw you off in an instant, and recovering from them can help you in big ways. As we saw with Wall last year, he finally uh, caught some good help for, for a while and had the season uh, that many were hoping for him to finally have at the American League level and transferred it during his uh, during his call up. So it's it, it's going to be interesting. Samsonov now has over 130 games of NHL experience. He's been able to to stop pucks at a bit above average rate, and I think that's really all you can ask for a goalie who you're paying $3.6 million to. He just needs to stop the puck enough. And that's really all the Leafs have needed in the past several years is a guy who is able to keep them in more games than not. When you know you have the offensive firepower and the, and, and the strong defensive play that they do, um, you just need someone who can keep you in game. So those two guys are guys who are at the right age range. They're they're playing decently well, or if if not very well. Like Samsonov's numbers, I'm not even giving him enough credit here. He was, I think, top ten in a couple of different metrics, including qual- uh, quality start rate, save percentage, etc. Last season, um, when when you have guys who can keep uh, just keep you in the fight like that, you're in good shape. Whether or not they can continue that. I can't tell you, but that's that's just the reality of no one really being able to tell you on these things. Yeah. Um, being able to keep Martin Jones uh, after he passed through waivers yesterday, 
uh, helps in the sense that it's a body. Um, Jones obviously hasn't had much NHL success in the past couple of years, so who knows what he can really give you. Did Some you see what CJ reported the there on the, the contract? Um, I, the, uh, oh, the uh, the poison pill? Yeah, yeah, I thought that was really creative. What a nice so piece of business. For, for listeners who didn't yeah. see it, um, the Leafs built into uh, the contract for Martin Jones that that, that final day of waivers – uh, right before the season started, Jones gets a hundred thousand dollar bonus. So anyone who was going to claim him off of waivers would be on the hook to pay that bonus. Now it's not a backbreaking bonus; it's not a huge. Bon- but if you're looking around at the last minute for which goalies are on waivers, and maybe you're sort of already tight with things, and your lineup's kind of close to set, to have that sort of yeah, you can take this guy, but it's going to cost you right off the bat another hundred grand. Maybe go look at somebody else. I thought that was a neat piece of business. I'm not sure I've seen before. Yeah, 100%. It's not something I've seen much of either. And uh, in a league where, hey, owners exist and real dollars matter, um, you do need to make them informed of some of these things. And in this case, hey, this guy's got an extra hundred grand that I have to pay him tomorrow. Are you really going to go to your owner and say this uh, for, your for a third guy who's going to be your number three goalie? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It, 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 it's almost just... It works almost as like a slacktivist kind of idea yes. uh, where you're, you you just – what team is going to bother with that? Right. Uh, now, it only works if you're if you're going to make that third string goalie a goalie who's going to not make uh, minimum salary because you can't really put in um, a same bonus pill on a league minimum contract. You have to give them at least league minimum in, in proper player salary. Mm-hmm. Um, so the circumstances are a little bit unique here. But if you're going to do it, it's a, as effective – uh, of a way as any. Uh, it obviously would have limited their flexibility to to make a tra- uh, trade with them during the offseason, but uh, we're not doing that right after you, you sign a guy. It's not a situation right. where they would have put this in in year three of a four-year deal. Um, like, for example, Tyler Myers had that situation in Vancouver this year, which limited their, uh, their ability to move him out. He had a late bonus uh, that I think was paid out in September, and by right. that point, teams kind of figured out their stuff. Um, so no, it was create a bit of bit of business there. And while I don't know that he gives them uh, meaningful NHL help, um, I'm not looking at those preseason numbers and expecting much uh, <laughs> to continue. But it's still it's still a body there that's been that's been there before. If injuries or anything of the sort happen, which they do, I mean Samsonov missed some time last year. Wall has missed time in the past few years. Uh, you want to be ready for anything. So actually being able to have three in the system that year. Have to some degree of confidence in, or know that they can play the game. Um, it's it's never a bad thing. No, and so you know, as we sort of look at this in an overall sense, uh, I guess it would be unfair to ask if this team is better than the team we saw in the playoffs last year because they did make a bunch of moves at the deadline. Shen came in was better than anybody expected. You had Achari and O'Reilly mm-hmm. and McCabe and these sorts of guys. But when you look at with this team, with every possibility that they may make some moves again at the deadline, and almost certainly will, should things be going well, are you, you know, in an overall sense, looking at this group and expecting better than last year, maybe a tiny step back in the regular season, but better prepared for the playoffs? Like, just, um, you know, kind of similar. What do you see or expecting out of this group in terms of, of comparisons to, to past versions of the Leafs? I think similar is fair. I think they did enough to keep themselves in the conversation and that, that their most substantial moves were area, were, were to attack points of weakness. And I think that's important. I think people at the same time, 
uh, do underestimate what they, what they is going back. Obviously guys like, uh, Alex Kirkwood and Justin Hall were whipping boys in the community, yeah. but they were able to, they were able to, to make manageable use out of important minutes. Um, and that's not to be fully dismissed. Um, so, so in replacing them, you're, you're not, you're not coming up from zero is kind of, is kind of where I'm getting at. The same goes for Michael Bunting. Obviously his tenure here ended on a bit of a sour note with, uh, with the suspension and the like, but, uh, that's a guy who was able to play with those top players, which is not as easy as a lot of people, uh, believe. It doesn't mean he himself is a driver, but there is a talent in being able to complement, uh, top lines that we're going to have to see if, uh, if the if the newcomers can do the same thing, so it's not it, it, it's not a huge leaps and bounds improvement, but it's a tuning uh, in a way that gives them uh, more kicks at the can in the playoffs to uh, to produce goals, and I think that's meaningful. I think the overall talent value there is probably about the same, uh, and and the areas where there are questions. Are areas that are a little bit easier to to address over the course of the year. We're talking about uh, the depths of the lineup instead of the top ends of the lineup, uh, and we'll be we'll have a pretty good idea of what direction they really need to lean into there by the end by by the trade deadline. Even by the time February comes around, if that fourth line isn't scoring, you have a good incentive to shift it towards something that's able to score or at least uh, move the shots in the right direction, keep pace of play going. Um, maybe so, see if Arizona's oh, oh. interested in a Ryan Reeves. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's that, 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 that sort of thing. Or maybe, or maybe he works out. You never know. Hockey's weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess that so, possibility so, is so, on the yeah. table. <laughs> yeah. I, lot, lot, lots of things are, <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but that, but that's kind of, that's kind of it for me is they, is they put themselves in a position to be in that conversation again. Do I think they're the absolute favorites to win the Stanley cup? No. Mm-hmm. Do I think they're in a position where they can finally win the Atlantic division and they, that they can be in the mix and be a potential cup winner? Yeah. I think there's absolutely still there. Um, and as awkward as pieces of these transactions were, the sum of all parts is a team that can still hang with everybody else and even be better than them. So uh, I, I think overall it's a decent uh, amount of work with, uh, w- w- with some wiggle room, and obviously beyond this season will be a bigger can of worms. Yeah, and I'm, I guess I should have asked you this maybe a few minutes earlier, but I, I'm curious what you think of, of Matthew Nyes, who kind of came out of college. He had been, as, as happens with, uh, with Leaf Prospects, maybe overhyped a little bit, not in the sense that he wasn't going to be a quality player, but as we sort of tend to do, it, it, it becomes this, you know, the second coming kind of thing. And, and I don't think people understood how good uh, Matthew Nye's line mates were and maybe whether that was lifting them up a bit. And so there was reason to wonder what he would look like when he got into the lineup. Now, what he did play in the regular season and in the playoffs, he didn't look out of place. Uh, he's had a very nice preseason. My only concern might be the amount of hockey he's played and now is about to play it is that longer season in the NHL does he fade that's a fair question with anyone about to play their first NHL season coming out of college or even out of junior uh, but just what have you made of him so far and sort of what do you expect of him this year is he kind of going to be a third line guy kind of 12 to 18 goals sort of thing or might he end up moving up the lineup if they don't like the way it's going in the top six and you could see him back there 
Yeah, I mean, first off, that's a really good point about the workload that he's faced over the past few years. Um, obviously, the two years at University of Minnesota, the USHL has a short schedule, too. Um, it's probably been a very long time since he's had to be um, be, be playing as much as he's going to this year. Um, we're talking schedule twice as long as uh, as the the previous four plus seasons that he's played. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, and that can be a shift on the body. I, I will say that, um, well, I wasn't as hyped as some people were. And I understand that hype because it's been a while since Toronto's had, um, a high pedigree prospects, uh, join the organization. We had a whole bunch of them at once and yep. then, uh, a lot of nothing for a little bit. So when you see another one, it's, it's fair to get excited. Sure. Uh, but he, he did keep himself um, in place in the lineup, and I think that's that's really important. When he's played with top guys, too, it's the same. It goes back to the point I was making about bunting. He was able to make himself a part of it, whether or not he was producing was independent because he was working on boards, he was making connecting plays, uh, and, and keeping himself involved. And I think that's really impressive to see for a, from a rookie who especially did not have... Um, the luxury of a training camp in a preseason uh, last year, uh, he had to come in straight from a completely different team at a completely different level and still managed to do the same thing. Obviously, uh, throughout this preseason, he's shown some really nice flashes as well. And hey, we'll see where it goes. See, there's a there's a possibility that things get moved around a little bit and he can slide a, a little bit further up the lineup, for example. Like I mentioned before, maybe it's a Domi or a Nylander who come down to the third center and kind of spread out the love a little bit, and that gives him an opportunity to go up to a higher wing. Um, so, so like, I look at him, and I don't I don't sit there and start counting Calder Trophy votes or whatever, because <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a unique spot to be in. He's going to be here as a compliment and not a driver. Uh, but the fact that he can come in and be that, uh, that, that 20-year-old, soon-to-be 21-year-old uh, complimentary player on a high-end team... Um, is extremely helpful, especially at his at his rookie salary. Um, it makes a big difference to the to the makeup of this team. Something that's uh, that's a happy surprise compared to where someone may have made a projection two years ago. So <laughs> I'm excited to see what happens with him. So uh, we'll begin to wind things down here a little bit, but I I, I want to ask you. You sort of alluded to it. Are they good enough to win the division? Yeah, they probably are good enough. But how do you sort of see this division playing out? Um, are they the favorites in your mind to win it? It, it? There's some question marks around the division, right? Florida is going to start the year without Ekblad and Montour. Uh, Tampa Bay is still, you know, every bit as scary as they once were. Maybe aging a little, but you're going to be without your goalie for two months. Ottawa and Buffalo for sure on the come. I don't know about you. I'm not as in love with what Detroit's done as I am with what Ottawa and Buffalo has done. Boston, I've written off basically every year, and last year they couldn't have dunked on me any harder. Um, but now you're, you've lost some key pieces there. Um, you know, who are the four coming out of this division? How do you see it shaking loose? The four coming out of this division is, is, is where it becomes a bit of a challenge. Um, obviously, Toronto gets itself in whether or not they, they win it. I think they do, but obviously crazy things happen we didn't expect boston to have what was it 722 points yeah, last year like or whatever yeah. um but uh but i can but i could definitely see them putting up a competitive number 
Um, you 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 look down down the group. I had high hopes for for Tampa's number until the Vasilevsky injury because yeah. this is the first real off season they've had in, in a fair bit of time. I think that's a really talented team still, and obviously these next eight weeks will dictate how much ground. Uh, they they give up or don't. Mm-hmm. Um, if they they're able to stay above water until Vasilevsky comes back, then they're definitely in the mix to 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 win the division. If not, then then we'll see. Um, worst case scenario might put them out of the race, but I think they they probably still make them put themselves in a playoff spot. Yeah, Boston, I'm tricky on because yes, losing Bergeron and Krejci is hard. But there's a very real argument that they've still kept the three best players on the team as far as like last year goes on talking all time. Sure. Legacy. Like I think Marshan's probably still, um, one of the best wingers in the league. Pasternak had a fantastic yeah, season. 61 last goals year as last well. year. Yeah. He's in, he, he's, he's in that conversation too. And I think Charlie McAvoy is underrated by a lot of people, mm-hmm. uh, which really surprises me. You would think big market, uh, defenseman, American college boy. Yep. He would think he would be, the love of everybody, but he doesn't—he doesn't quite get it the same way uh, as some others do. Granted, we're in a bit of a, a renaissance era for great young defensemen, so it might just be a matter of volume. Sure. Um, so it's hard for me to dismiss them uh, entirely, though. Looking at some of the center depth and where uh, the bottom of the lineup goes, there is a little curious too. And their goaltending—we'll see if they're able to stop pucks at a historically great rate, the way that they were. <laughs> Before I think Allmark and Swayman are both quality goaltenders, but uh, but for them both to be Vesna winning and Vesna conversation quality again um, might be a bit more challenging. Um, I think I ultimately still put them in, which kind of leaves you to the fourth spot. Uh, I really like Buffalo and I like the way that they play their game. Uh, they're they're a bit they're a bit weak on the defensive end, but I think uh, having Levi in net is going to be a huge help to them. I've been a really big believer of his for the past few years and uh, really excited to see what he can do. I think he's got a, a good chance of being in that rookie conversation if he has a good year. Um, so I would probably lean towards them, which I'm, I'm sorry to the people of Ottawa who are probably like, oh, this guy's dismissing us. But um but but they'll they'll be another fun team too, and if it went their way instead, like I wouldn't be completely shocked. They're not my absolute pick uh, to be there, but with the talent they have, um, especially if uh, if they're able to find a couple of other leaps in their in their youth group, there things are possible there. Corpus Allo has a great year in net, then they then they absolutely become part of that conversation too. The the Atlantic is annoying in that regard. Like yeah, the top kind of saw. Um, the wind come out of its sails a little bit, but the bottom is starting to to continue to establish. I think itself. this is a big uh, part I'm, of it, right? Like, what, is Toronto likely to get 111, 115 points again? No, I think all, uh, Boston's not doing 135. I think all these top teams come back to the middle a little because you're not going to get to just keep taking easy points off Detroit, Buffalo, and Ottawa. All three of them, whether they make it in or not, are going to be better, and they're going to start creeping up too. I think you're going to see a lot of this division compressed into the middle uh, a fair yeah. bit and I think boom, Ottawa could be boom. right there to knock on the door with Buffalo as but every day that goes by without Norris and without Pinto they put themselves behind the eight ball like that team needs yeah. to be healthy and those are two crucial pieces so yeah so that point about the, the 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 lower team starting to claw back a bit might actually be to Toronto's benefit there because Toronto doesn't really do well against those they don't. those bottom end no. teams. So the, that's where the, that's where they were dropping the points last year. So if there's a team situated to to stay high, um, <laughs> despite the rising tide, it might be them. Maybe. 
maybe this is the year they will finally win a season series against the Coyotes. You never yeah, know. Wouldn't that be great? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it's funny like that. But I think I'm with you uh, on Detroit not really being in the mix yet. Montreal, obviously, they're not going yeah. for uh, a serious push either, and I don't think they they mind hearing that. They they know where where they stand right now, and they're going to have a few exciting young guys to watch just from an entertainment perspective too. And I'm curious to see how some of the guys who spent much of last year on IR um, respond, but uh, but I'm, I, I don't have them in the mix either. No, and so uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting year in the division. I don't know about you, but this configuration is about the least likely one I saw coming when the playoffs ended. I, I personally I don't think would have traded one of the big four, but I thought that was more on the table than ever before. I thought it was possible Sheldon Keefe would be gone if you had told me that all four of those guys and the coach would be back and and Kyle Dubas would be the one sitting somewhere else. Uh, I'm not sure I would have quite believed it. I, I guess while we're talking about him, just what do you think of what he's done in, in Pittsburgh? He's uh, I don't like their goaltending, but he's made some interesting moves there and certainly Carlson is going to help revitalize that power play. Uh, I'm kind of interested in seeing how they do. I, I, I like Kyle. I, I'm still kind of cheering for that guy. I, I, whatever, maybe I'm just one of those nerds, but uh, I, I hope he does well there. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, go, going on about what happened on the management in the summer would take an entire other podcast, sure. so we'll, we won't... We won't we won't spend much time on that, but the Pittsburgh will be interesting. I I actually put a a small amount of money on them doing well this year uh, because the value was so high earlier in the summer. We did a hot take uh, episode a couple of, days ago. I said I, it wouldn't shock me if they win the division this year, not the cup, but if if that power play got humming along nice enough, one more big ninety point year at a Crosby Malkin stays healthy, uh, they could be in the mix to win that division. I'd actually almost go the opposite where I think they'd have a higher chance of winning the cup than they would have winning the division. Okay. I don't know if they can hold on to it for, for 82, but I can see those guys putting it all on the line um, in the spring and yep. going on one last ride. All it takes is uh, a goalie to get hot. And like you said, their their goaltending options aren't world beaters, but neither were the ones that they that they went with. I mean, they, they went to Stanley Cups with Matt Murray as their, uh, as their playoff starter. No disrespect to him, but obviously not a... Not even at his best wasn't a high pedigree uh, NHL guy. You you just need to be able to do it at the right time. And when you have guys like Sid Malkin, Latang, Carlson, etc., who've all been big game guys in the playoffs before, knowing that they only have like one or two more cracks at this, especially as a group, uh, you you never you never know what happens yeah. there. Uh, but overall, no, I liked the, I liked a lot of what they did. Uh, obviously, they were in a good uh, position with the Carlson trade, where they were able to to get it done by shedding some salary um, through through their bad contracts instead of having to worry so much about retention made it made them more attractive to, to San Jose in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a good pickup for them, and if it doesn't work out, then we'll, honestly, they're in kind of the same spot that San Jose That's would right. have been down the line anyway. That last year of the deal, he's just going to... He's just going to do the same thing again, but 70 points instead of 100 or whatever, <laughs> uh, just to give them some entertainment in a post-sit in the Gino and, um, and Latang World. Um, Riley Smith was a good ad. Yeah. Uh, there's a few others. Like Lars Auer was a good pickup, mm-hmm. bringing in, uh, bringing in brief former Leaf Nolachari. Um, <laughs> like there, 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 there's, there's a little bit there. Uh, I, I still wonder, um, about some other moves. Like I figure they're going to want to move Jeff Carter at some point. Um, and the D below Carlson with yeah. Graves isn't really isn't really the best, but uh, they've got some flexibility. And obviously, I don't think uh, 
I don't think Dubas is done there. This was off season one of seven on that contract. Um, and he also had to go through the grueling process of interviewing and hiring himself as GM, which is a couple of times. So, uh, we'll, uh, well, we'll we'll see where it goes for them. Um, tonight will be tonight will uh, at least be fun. It's gonna be fun seeing that new group go up against uh, Bedard in his debut. This is uh, where I was gonna wrap it up. Last thing for you, as you and I sit here, it is Tuesday afternoon. This is gonna drop for everybody on Wednesday morning. So the good listener will have already seen that matchup. I think the schedule makers. Uh, I think that's really fun. Connor Bedard versus Sidney Crosby to start off the NHL season. That's going to be cool. Uh, but let me give you two over-unders here on the uh, on the whiz kid that everybody's talking about coming in. Connor Bedard, uh, 32.5 goals over-under. Uh, it's funny. I actually just wrote a player prop article about Bedard on uh, CanadaSportsBetting.ca. Easy plug right there. Nice. Um, and I, I took the over on that. I think he's going to be... Uh, I think he's going to be in at least that mix. I, I I said 40 would probably good value too. The markets, believe it or not, also have him for 50 and 60. I think 60 is a little bit of a Holy novelty cow. vote. Uh, but um, but but yeah, I can see I can see him going on a good run there. It's and I'm sure I'm sure the next uh, the next number is going to be kind of tied to this point. So I might be jumping the gun a bit here. But I think when you look at uh, when you look at his production. Um, he's in a spot that a lot of people don't give enough credit for, um, being, being a good spot for a, a player to produce in. Uh, I know that was a bit of a mouthful. I didn't really <laughs> get that out correctly, but, uh, the, the idea here is you, you can be a really productive player on a stack team that gives you a lot of talent to work with. And you can be a really productive player on a team that's really, really bad and has nobody else to, uh, to to really um, support you beneath you. Right. Um, they did bring in guys like Taylor Hall, um, Nick Foligno, etc. Corey Perry uh, to support <laughs> him this year. Corey Perry uh, and Hall is going to play with him, but that's just it. Hall is going to play with him and not beneath them in the lineup. Mm-hmm. Those are guys that are be connected to each other. So he's going to have someone who will contribute to his uh, his offensive room. Uh, during his shifts, but because he's not beneath them, it's going to be more shifts, more touches, more opportunities, PP1, all that stuff. Yeah, you're it's gonna not going to be like, six on five at the end of the yeah. game, uh, all of it. It's yeah, going to run through like, him. Exactly. It's like look at like Ovechkin's rookie year versus Austin Matthews' rookie year. Um, Ovechkin had the more productive rookie season because he got to play 8,000 minutes in every <laughs> single role, whereas Matthews was on a team that ran a 1ABC lineup right. where you had an offensive line, a balance line, and a shutdown line. And Matthews was on the balance line playing about 18 minutes a night. Um, his line wouldn't necessarily even get out there first on the power play sometimes because they would draw the penalty and there was an effective uh, PP2 that ended up almost being PP1 yeah. for much of that season. So he's still like I think he had the lead uh, the league lead in even strength goals that year and was second in goals four, but didn't really get the same opportunities to really rake that in the same way that an Ovechkin did in that first year or Crosby did in that first year even McDavid to an extent though even he he got um, hurt there pretty didn't have quick the same opp- and, yeah, yeah he 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 got hurt and when when he was playing with the team also had Nugent Hopkins Hall etc yep uh, to kind of isolate to kind of like insulate him a little bit. But Dart has uh, has that little bit of on ice support with him when he's going to be playing, but he doesn't have the support beneath him, and I think that puts him in a spot 
that's going to lead to him producing as long as he stays healthy. It, now, if that said, what was the second? Uh, yeah, the second well, one? I just uh, as you mentioned Crosby there in his rookie season, one of the teams that I keep in mind to use quite a bit when I'm doing the the daily puck doku is that first Penguins team out of the lockout. People forget some of the names they brought in to surround Crosby. John LeClaire was there. Ziggy Palfi was there. Miro Shatan was mm-hmm. there. All coming out of the... And, and you start thinking about those are guys who put up serious numbers in, in other places. And, and so keep that, that post-lockout Pittsburgh team, uh, good listener, in your back pocket for your daily puck dokus. There's some interesting uh, value there. The second question was 89.5 points. Ooh, okay, that one's a little bit higher than I thought you were going to go okay. with. I, I know the books, the books put the line there at like I think sixty-seven point five. Your uh, your goal line was really close. Your goal line, uh, I, I think thirty-one point five. On this. I, I said we did that. Yeah. Uh, that um, you know, hot takes show the other day. I I, I said he would get into the nineties, but you're right. One of the problems with all the things running through you means maybe there's not quite what you get to set up, right? That's going to be hard for him to, right. unless he gets Corey Perry back to being a 35 goal scorer or something like that, it's going to be hard for him to right. get a lot of assists. Yeah, because when you when you put it that way, going 89 points on, thir- on or 90 points on 33 goals, you're expecting him to find 57 assists right. on that team. And that's a guy who's a primary shooter and asked to pass to the 2024 Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> that might be a bit more complicated. I, I think if you were going to bring a line that was similar to the betting lines of, I think, uh, yeah, it was 67.5. That I think he's going to clear. 89, I think he blows like, by it, 67. It's not, yeah, it's, not even, it's not even out of the question that he gets there, but I would be less confident, and it certainly wouldn't be something that I would, uh, that I'd, I would put real dollars on. 67.5 I think is a good one. Okay. Uh, with that, why don't you tell us where, uh, once again, where people can find your writing in case they're looking to co- put a couple bucks down on this NHL season and, uh, and where we can find your work. Yep, you can find my uh, you can find my writing my, and my my public work at uh, CanadaSportsBetting.ca. Uh, um, I'm also occasionally tweeting on the account Can Sport Betting um, on whatever we call this website these days. <laughs> um, and uh, other than that, the other place you can see my work transfer to something is catch a Markham Royals game uh, either in person or on Flow Hockey if you have a subscription there. Right on, Jeff. I appreciate you doing this, man. We've uh, we've had you on for a few years in a row now to uh, to tee up the season on uh, on opening night, and always appreciate your insights. You are a great follow on Twitter, despite the the trolls you're constantly fighting off. You're right; there are multiple tap the sign things that you have to keep reminding people of. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I may have mixed them up off the top of the show, but uh, appreciate you doing this, man. Thank you. Oh, it's always a pleasure. It's one of my my favorite little pit stops. Uh before the season every year there goes jeff always fun to talk to him i appreciate him making some time he's got uh he's got some more duties now some more things on his plate with the ojhl work that he's doing certainly his writing there for canada sports betting uh we will link to that in the show notes as i said so appreciate him making some time don't forget on friday ethan shiner author of the book freedom to win is going to be on the podcast that's going to be a lot of fun and uh like i said if you missed it Graham Nichols was here Tuesday for your Send Season Preview. You can go back and check that out at TalkingAudio.com or wherever you're hearing me right now. And uh, Monday, your NHL hot takes. Rob and I threw down a couple of those. So all of it's a lot of fun. All of it wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate you checking this one out. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. What the hell is that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why are you so pissy? 